You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. I'd lose the sense of balance to the point Caston implored and the mechanic had to support me for more than 200 metres before I could start again. Finding my way, I had to climb the thread of my own existence to know who I was and what was I doing on the bicycle. Then I saw the Peugeot on my jersey and I remembered that I was a cyclist. But in what race were we? I didn't have any idea until I noticed the tour's yellow plate screwed on the bumper of the Peugeot's team car. Not being sure of anything, I am inquiring of Gaston Plaid, who answered, Yes, we are in the tour. Don't worry, though. You fell on your head. Well, we know. So the ride begins here on the Yarrabug Radio Show, 3CR streaming, podcasting, or listening on that valve transistor in the kitchen. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now, uh, always a wonderful show, and good morning, Faith. Good morning, Val. It is a um, one of those sort of uh, those lo- couple of days of moisture after a lovely three or four days of autumnal weather in Melbourne. And we just had the uh, the equinox, so it is autumn We've officially. Had the equinox and the new moon the other night, so a little bit of an auspicious occasion. I'm sure all us pagans were on a worldwide consciousness moment <laughs> as we speak at that time. Now, <laughs> that quote this morning comes from one of the uh, hero, French heroes of the Tour de France. It's from 1972. That's Bernard Thinot. That's after he fell off. But as, as the mechanic was quite <laughs> correct, you didn't do any damage. You only fell on your head. <laughs> and speaking of that, we've got a bit of a um, – the um, 
Milano Salon Remo was run the other day, so the cycling season has well and started, well and truly started in, in Europe. Europe. Yep, yep. yep. Um, so that's always a little bit of a kick up to everybody who's going to be sitting at home. Well, it's another sign of the the autumn equinox, isn't it? When you start that's settling it. in for the <laughs> the nighttime bike watching, or that and Bastille Day can't be too far away. <laughs> but let's all things French. Um, we've got a bit of a show, a bit of a mix match as usual. A um, little bit of a catch up on what's happening around the place. Faith, have you got a bike moment to share? Uh, well, today's bike moment was is very um, topical. It was just the, I think, the first time. I, it's definitely the first time I've ridden here. Um, but where you had that that carpet of the fallen leaves on the sides of all the roads, and you're very uh, very much aware that uh, the weather has made that turn to autumn. It is actually the. Point. They weren't so crunchy though. This morning, it was no, there's more, a bit of moisture yeah. in the air. I must admit to you, um, you're a capital city trail rider. Mm-hmm. That um, I know it's been a long time coming. That fixing up of the giveaway signs along that uh, path is just a boom, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's been really good. Yeah, still a couple more to do. So uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, it uh, changes the way you ride that. And just on that, actually, I thought I'd found a pedestrian crossing that took longer than the one outside the Fitzroy Pools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I failed by about eight seconds, I think. <laughs> There's a crossing on um, uh, Hoddle Street in Collingwood, <laughs> and it takes a fairly bit of time. Yeah. Um, look, I'm... The, um, I've noticed that there's a... I've been noticing a, an array of different... Um, some sort of, I'm not going to say the word kooky because two wheels and a chain makes a bike, but I've noticed a couple of very um, out there designs lately. A hand cycle, but not a hand cycle where you turn a crank, but a lever up and down. Ah. So, and, um, you know, ridden like it was going to be, a, it's a commuter bike. Yeah. Going up my street, I was really quite fascinated by it. Sort of like uh, one of those train um you know, the things you put on the railway and you pump the thing up and down. It's yep. really quite interesting. And I think it's a, it's a something when you don't have the infrastructure to support a wide range of riding, you see less of the variation in bikes. Whereas when you have that sort of safe infrastructure, that makes yeah. it accessible to more people using – because there, there are lots of different bikes out there. There's a bike for everyone almost. Yeah. So um, yeah, maybe it's maybe we're seeing a few more because there's more, a few more connections being made yeah. that enable people to get around. It's like I leave home and think I haven't got a bike moment, and it's quite a. I'll run it in order actually now. <laughs> so now I roll up to an intersection, and I'm you know the corner of Hyatt Street and Church Street, which is a little bit notorious, and we've got the red light. And it took me a second to realise what was going on. Uh, large truck heading south down Church Street, turning left into Hyatt Street. Young kid on a, a youngster on a um, electric scooter, straight up the inside of the turning truck. He must have missed him by about six inches, and the port. Truck driver, I mean, just obviously no idea that he was there, and I, you could, I could just see it. I'm going, oh no. 
Anyway, so get over the shock of that. I mean, there's <laughs> something that you just see in this. It's so yeah. visceral, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then turned into Albert Street to come here, and um, somebody passed me, going a bit slow, on a, a road bike that had had a two wheels added to the to the rear instead of uh, yep. the the uh, rear wheel. Sorry, and a road trike. Road trike. Stable, very quick. Yep. Went past me, nearly gave me windburn, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I caught up with him at the red light, though, don't worry yeah. about that. <laughs> so just interesting to see that whole trick along just a ride to work. Yeah, one uh, short ride. One short ride. right a little bit of news. Um, well, we could... Well, if you're um, right along, um, not many... A lot of people ride along South Bank. Oh, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to um, come to a place between this is, you know, bad infrastructure and then, police, and then policing our, um, the speed law along there. Apparently they had a big week down there the other week with the uh, speed guns. Um, yeah, getting the cyclists. No, it's it's ridiculous. The you know, as someone pointed out, the the fine given to people riding over ten kilometres per hour along South Bank was bigger than the fine given to the person who opened a car door and killed a cyclist on Sydney Road. Yep. So it's um, you know, if you if you've created a route and it's become an established bike route, um, and you like the whole idea that the way you solve this issue is by handing out fines to one of the legitimate users, yeah. um, and it's become much more crowded with a lot of the dining pop up yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, there has to be an alternative to send those riders who want to go more than 10k an hour down. It's not like the people are avoiding an alternative. There's no other connection. No. So um, it does seem that there has to be a far more positive way to handle that situation. It's ridiculous. Absolutely out of... It's been there for a long time. Well, and, and you know, it's... The design creates this situation and then you exacerbate that with the dining pop-ups, which are great, but, yep. you, you know, the outcome is very predictable yep. and that could have been dealt with in some manner at the time. Yep. Um, but the... That's all right. Yep. Yeah. Well, casino will close down shortly so <laughs> and they'll move out of town. I'm not sure what will go there. Maybe a, you know, a YMCA or something <laughs> should go in that building. But um, just one of those, they're little, people like to get on their high horse about it. It's a little bit of flam, flim flam, the throat yep. of the masses, look what we're doing. Yeah. You know. I'm, doesn't you know, achieve anything. This, no, you know. and it doesn't solve the problem. No. And, you know, you've got a big bike lane enters at one end and a big line bike lane enters at the other end. Yeah. Nobody has, I mean, the... To fix up the north side of the the river, nobody's done anything much ever no. for a long, long time. Up next. Up next. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's all right. <laughs> totally. That's all right. So I was, um, I mean, again, it's City of Melbourne. Yep. But I was thinking... Um, Linking a few things together. So the the city of Melbourne, we know they've been on this uh, crusade and have taken the opportunity. They 
you know, the 10-year plan had a lot of uh, bike lanes in it, separated infrastructure, and they took the opportunity with COVID last year to speed a lot of that building up. So instead of doing it over several years to do a lot. And it's made a huge difference. Like approach getting into the city now is just the level of stress and being able to ride down exhibition or other roads that, I do Lonsdale the other day, yeah. Yeah. Um, the bottom end of Rathdown and all things that you think, well, for someone who's already fairly comfortable riding, they're a nice addition that lowers the stress, but they really make a big difference to people who weren't going to ride and now might because yeah. of those. Um, so they're about to start on the next lot, which is Queensbridge Street, Street, which is a a great connection because when you come up Moray Street in South Melbourne or up the Port Melbourne shared path, Path. you will then have a connection to get into the city and whichever route you choose from there. Um, So that's, I think that's going to be a really, and that should start in April. Yeah. So that'll be a big connection. That's yeah. And because <laughs> I'm just you know you sort of we all sort of talk about these things and then seeing them get done and then see the difference. Yeah. Melbourne. I mean, uh, Yarra City Council have had a your say thing about a couple of local streets. So they do these area by area, and they'd identified the problem. Um, I'm, if you know the Richmond Boulevard and the the girls' school there mm. and where it runs in the Bridge Road. So that this is always a rat run. But now they've actually gone through with one of their uh, your say things and made it into one lane each up the top. And so it's effectively, you know, telling people this is not the way to go. And it's interesting. It, it seems it's not been there long, but it seems to be working a bit. Yeah. It's no. a little bit hard to sort of work out. Uh, I'm always a little bit phobic about a long line of cars standing there for 10 minutes because you're going to gas everybody to death. But it seems to be discouraging people. Yeah. So no. they do, they tick away at things. Yeah, but it's um it's good to see the ticking ramped up now and then. There's um, Moreland had some projects that were initiated in response to COVID, but... Um, have taken a much longer time than expected to implement for various reasons. So they're now being trialled for a longer period, but one of them was a pedestrian project implementing shared zones either side of Fleming Park where the East Brunswick shimmy goes through. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they've just done the street painting and put up some planters and the speed limit will drop to 20 kilometres an hour and cars and bicycles give way to pedestrians. And it's a pedestrian project, but yeah. it will make an enormous difference to the people who use the East Brunswick Shimmy as you, you cross Victoria and Albert as you go in and out of Fleming Park. Yep. It's, um, that's another project that I think has been on the cards for a while, but now that it's being done, you can quickly see the difference it's going to make. Yeah. Low-hanging fruit, dare we suggest. Yes. <laughs> We're going to be back after this. 
3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Backrose Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. And you're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show, a show about bikes, riding them, loving them, fixing them, taking them for a gentle walk on a Sunday afternoon through a local park. Um, Faith, I got stuck in a bit of a history um, uh, vortex. No, tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> and look, just I was reading something about, uh, uh, you know, the introduction of the safety bicycle. Sorry to go back uh, just short of 100 years or more than 100 years. I, when we've spoken a lot about this, but it's, I've just started to realise by looking at something I was reading the other day, the enormous impact that actually the whole cycling was a whole new thing and the impact i didn't sort of realize we've spoken about getting people away but if you look then at actually the numbers behind that era there was a figure i came up with the other day from an article so in about the mid 1890s 10 percent of all ads in nearly all newspapers were for bicycles or bicycle parts. The uh, advertising spend in the 1890s in America was about $9 million a year. That's the advertising spend for bicycles. It was sort of, I'm looking at it and going, there's a bigger impact in a lot of ways than a computer in some ways. I mean, they're they're both sort of... I think you can compare it to a smartphone. Yeah. Like the way it transformed society and the then all the knock-on things that... Like in Melbourne, we were in the middle of the 1890s depression. Depression, yeah. And one of the worst hit cities in the world. And then suddenly in 1895, you have new... You know, there were already bike shops, but as that boom hit the number of businesses based around bicycles and that were not just opening but booming. Yeah. Um, so in contrast to all the businesses that had been so badly hit by the Depression and were in decline. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm looking at these figures, a number of, in the space of eight years or something, the number of, you know, Serious people putting out manufacturing bikes in America went from 29 or something to over 400 in the space of four or five years. Um, So you can imagine that, I mean, in Australia you'd buy virtually a print or a plan for a bike and then make it here. I mean, in some respects it wasn't just an import sort of thing. But it was really interesting to look at how really big impact it had. It was huge. The schools, the schools to teach people to ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the clothing, you know. Of course. Specialist clothing. I've I've ended up reading about a a blue in the 1895 about uh, an ad for a rally bicycle with the local hero, you know, the the cycling star of the moment on the cover and the story of a bloke who had the six-day record, how far can you ride in six days, and all the ads were of the certain bicycle, 
you wouldn't ride. I can't name them because, anyway, they're, they're not still making bikes. But who rode half of it on one bike and rode half on the other and then appeared in both ads for two different <laughs> bicycles. So he held the, he held the six-hour record on this beautiful bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it was it's it's hard to imagine now, but and transformed. You know, one history group I belong to were are sharing early maps of uh, Gippsland, uh, and you know the first comprehensive maps about roads were made by cyclists in Australia and elsewhere. Yeah, you know they were they went on, and the same people went on to become the road directory makers in the twentieth century. But it was all about identifying. What were the decent roads to ride on, and where there was a steep hill, you'd have to get off because fixed yeah. gear bike, you weren't going to be able to no. hold your pedals yep. in order to get down it. And, and this was pre-railways. No, they, oh, no, they had no, railways, yep. but um, the thing about the bike that people pointed out was you could catch the train to somewhere, and you know it might be Euroa, and you would visit that area. But unless you had access to a trap or something in Euroa, you couldn't go further into the countryside, yeah. whereas once you had bikes, they could put them on the train, get to a country town, and then go and explore. Yeah. Um, I just, on that um, a wonderful story, I got a lot of, There's a youngish family who are all to, uh, bikes. They all ride bikes, schools, and uh, very much so. They did the um, – it's a ride to Yay from um, – Talarook. Talarook to uh, – Talarook to um, to Yay and beyond that, and um, the hell had a wonderful time. So about three or four adults, I think about four or five kids, and um, uh, the one comment that um, blew me away and thought that things haven't changed is the drama that they all had on trying to get on the train. <laughs> well, it would have been a lot easier a hundred years ago. Yeah, the yeah. trains were more frequent, and uh, they probably had a goods carriage at the back of them. Well, the the Talarook line still does most of the time. Yeah, if yeah. It's you know, um, but yeah, they always had a goods train. And the other thing was, after the nineteen thirties, we had a dedicated uh, carriage for bicycles, and that disappeared in the nineteen eighties. Ah, of course, yeah, yeah. So um, it was much easier then. Yeah. yeah. And in those days, a lot of suburban trains had luggage carts yep. down the back. Yeah. You know, the yep. whole half of one of those red rattlers. And some of the big trips were made uh, um, when the railways did special cycling specials. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we've we've digressed, Val. No, no. And we're back on to <laughs> on to. Um, I wanted to mention there was a, a consensus statement put out this week by thirteen different organisations, including Victoria Walks, Bicycle Network, the RCB, Amy Gillett Foundation, the this is the important one, um, a local government association and several others and it was I think a very timely uh, thing to do it's a consensus statement to support more walking and bike riding for Victorians and what it's essentially doing is pointing out that uh, at the moment we need more infrastructure to support active transport 
One in three Victorians plan to travel more by foot or bike than they did pre-coronavirus, but safety is a barrier that many of them nominate to them doing that. Four in five Victorians are interested in riding a bike if high-quality bicycle infrastructure is provided. And eight in ten local councils would like to improve walking and bike riding options, but funding is the greatest barrier. And it's something that's been on my mind. If you're involved with your local bug, you're probably aware that we're coming up to the budgeting season and starting to think about what projects would we like to see put on the agenda. And But you very quickly come up against that. How does a local council find the money for the sort of high-quality infrastructure that we're talking about um, and I think you see particularly with Yarra and also in Moreland and particularly in Moreland they've been very good at doing those small little connections that are a bit cheaper to achieve but that um, make it easier particularly with shimmies and that for people to get around but you don't see big separated bike paths no we, we have some shared paths um, and aside from the O'Hay Street Project, that's the only separated bike path. Um, there was one we got state government funding for for Cumberland Road, but that has money has been diverted to an on-road bike lane. Yeah. Um, but so they, they really rely on state government funding to get these bigger separated projects up. And yeah. at a time where the city of Melbourne is building right up you know, rough down and, and all these spots at which the connections are going to start to be made, um, it puts pressure on, like, how do we get how people get safely to those spots and how do you uh, get the funding? So this consensus statement, I'll put a link up to it, but it asks, it has a a couple of main points that, walking and bike riding be included as an essential part of integrated transport planning, that prioritising streets for people in residential areas around schools and shopping strips should include certain things that make active travel, local travel easier, and that to upgrade cities, regional centres and local neighbourhoods by improving footpaths, bike lanes, crossing opportunities and completing the missing links. But very much makes the point that all this relies on uh, funding from state government to LGAs. Yeah. And is it a good time to make sure you're a member of your local bug? It is because, as I said, we'll be, you know, most bugs are interested in advocating for local projects and the spending to support them. Um, so, and even if uh, you don't have a bug... You, you can do this as an individual, find out what your council's planning to spend uh, and put in a submission with the projects you would like to see done and yeah. uh, try and get it on the agenda for the coming year. Yeah, and there are plenty of resources there. Yeah, you can get in touch with existing bugs, find out how they do it and what they do it. If you have a look, for example, at um, Streets Alive Yarra yep. or any uh, – there will be other organisations who do this. They might have online submissions they've made, so you could do those, use those as a template, get an idea of how to put together your submission, and um, either as a bug or as an individual, if you yeah. can't find your local bug or they're not around, um, get that in. Yeah. Now is the time for the squeaky wheel. 
Yep, definitely. Lots of squeaking. Yes, because they're listening. <laughs> Finally, someone's, you know, we'll Finally. see. We'll see. <laughs> now, as you know, all the announcers here at uh, 3CR are volunteers and the future of this wonderful radical radio depends on your subscriptions and donations. So don't be shy. And coming up next, next is, is not Shebop. It will be Red Women, a series celebrating the lives of revolutionary women in Australia. And today's ap- episode features the life of Gwen Goddicke, um, who, like a lot of revolutionary women, struggled alongside her male comrades, but whose story hasn't been told. As we are marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.